Welcome to the Word of Faith Sermon Podcast with Pastor Hagen Lister. Join in with us today, ready to grow in your knowledge of the Bible with practical application for your everyday life. If you're interested in following or learning more, join us on our Facebook page at WOFTX or check out our website at WOFTX.com for location and service times. Now here's Pastor Hagen with today's message. past couple of months here, uh, we've been just taking books of the Bible and literally just reading verse by verse and stopping and allowing the Holy Spirit just to lead us uh, into these scriptures. And and it's really, I don't know about you, but it's really been beneficial to me uh, just to go through that because I do believe in expository teaching where uh, you get a subject and you, um, you know, just go through that subject and you find scriptures on. I think it's very, very beneficial. And that's how I preach most of the time is, is just expository, but, but also to go through, the, uh, go through the Bible and teach line upon line, precept upon precept uh, is very good to get, a very, uh, to get a grasp on that particular book. And so uh, we finished up James several weeks ago, and then the last time I was here on a Wednesday, I wasn't here last Wednesday, uh, but we started uh, the book of Romans. Of course, uh, the book of Romans was, uh, was written by uh, the Apostle Paul. And I don't have time on these to go back and, and do any kind of a, a, a large recap or anything. So uh, we kind of did an introduction to the book of Romans, and then we did uh, Romans chapter 1. And so tonight we're going to be in Romans chapter 2. If you missed any of that, uh, you can always go back to our podcast and, and, and listen to that and, and kind of catch up. But let's go to uh, Romans, the second chapter. And again, like I said, we, we just read and, and just let the, the Word of God bless us and, and see where it takes us. Um, Romans chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Therefore, you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are, who judge. For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. Now, I, didn't, I, I never did preface uh, this, this teaching about on Romans as it was going to be uh, a softy. Romans is not a, a soft or easy book sometimes to listen to. But I think it's interesting how um, if we do go back to the last time we were here and we, we talk about Romans, the first chapter, um, really, the Romans, the first chapter, of course, this letter wasn't bro- broken up into chapters when Paul wrote it. It was one letter. And so uh, the, just to, for ease of, of, of reading, it's broken up into chapters and verses. But when, um, when we left off in chapter one, I'll just read a little bit of chapter one at the end there. Uh, it says, verse 26, it says, for this reason, God gave them up to their vile passions. And it's talking about all the different um, people who are, are given over to uncleanness. It, it really is, is addressing the homosexual, um, you know, uh, part of things that was going on in Rome. It says, um, well, let's back up to verse 25, who exchanged the truth of God for a lie, a lie and worship and serve uh, the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forevermore. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions. For even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of a woman, burned in their lust for one another. Men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind, to do those things which are not fitting. Being filled with all unrighteousness, sexual immorality, wickedness, covetousness, maliciousness, full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, evil-mindedness, 
They are whispers, backbiters, haters of God, violent, proud, boasters, inventors of evil things, disobedient to parents, undiscerning, untrustworthy, unloving, unforgiving, unmerciful, who knowing the righteous judgment of God, that those who practice such things are deserving of death, not only do the same, but also approve of those who practice them. Now, our Bibles take a break right there and it goes into the next chapter. And a lot of times people just read a chapter, but uh, Paul doesn't take a break. He, it's, it, it goes right into it because he's talking about all these things that God gave these people over to their passions, to their, to their flesh, to their desires. You know, a, a lot of times people will talk about these certain things and they'll have different pet sins and they'll justify these pet sins, especially today. Uh, they'll try to justify them with laws and rules, and and you know, and if, if things get okayed by Congress, somehow it's it now it's okay, and God's even got to be okay with it. But that's not true. That's not in the Bible. And it's going through all of these things, but then it gets to verse to chapter two, and I, and I say all that because now he's going to begin to talk to people who uh, quote unquote um, are getting everything right, okay? So you, he's, he's, he's basically contrasting all of these, what we would call vile people that are doing all these sexual immoral, immoral things. They're, they, they don't love their parents. They're, uh, you know, they're, they're doing all this stuff that's, that's not right that actually calls them inventors of evil. And then it starts talking about God's righteous judgment and, and really begins to talk to believers in the church uh, about their role in this. And it says, therefore... You are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are, who judge, for in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. Whatever you judge another. And so uh, a lot of times people will get uh, that, that famous saying is, is uh, you know, of course it's in, in another scripture, but this is one that they back that up with is like, uh, judge not lest you be judged, right? And, and, and that's true. Uh, uh, but most of the time, that statement is being used by someone who knows they're doing wrong, and they're and they're and they're um, you know they're justifying it. And when you're bringing it to their attention, they automatically say you're judging me. And if you're judging me, then you're going to be judged. And that's not exactly uh, uh, what it is. You know, the, the Bible is okay with correction. Amen. The Bible's okay with, uh, with people correcting other people when they're going the wrong direction. The Bible's okay with accountability and all these things. But this is talking about someone who is making a final judgment on somebody. And it says, therefore, you are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are, who judge. For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. Meaning that every single one of us, no matter what our pet thing is, in God's eyes, we're all practicing the same thing and it's all sin, right? In society, we have levels of sin and we have levels of consequence to certain sins. But how many of you know a white lie is just as, as bad in God's eyes, it's sin in God's eyes as, as some of the things that were mentioned in, in chapter two. It, need, I, need I remind you that the sin that wound us up in the mess that we're in now where Jesus had to, had to come down from heaven and, and be born of a virgin and die on a cross for us, the sin that started it all was simple disobedience. The sin that started it all was not drunkenness, was not 
um, homosexuality was not uh, a premarital sex. Was it wasn't all these things that we that we tout as these these horrible sins? And I'm not saying that they shouldn't be up here on a on a social level because of the consequences involved. But need I remind you the the sin that plunged all of humanity into the depths of hell was disobedience. Was not doing what God said or was doing what God said not to do. Amen? And so it's talking about that. And it says, but, but we know that the judgment of God is according to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O oh man, who, uh, you who judge those practicing such things and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Now, verse 4, it kind of changes tone. It says, or do you despise the riches of his goodness? So it's talking about people that have been given over to all this lascivious, I don't even, I can't even say the word, so I'm not even going to try. Bad stuff. And then it starts talking about people who judge people doing that, all the while they've got something going on in their life. And it says, the people who are judging those who are doing all these things just because you're not being socially caught or maybe you're socially accepted by what you do or don't do and you feel like you have a right to point your finger at the ones that are doing something that is not socially acceptable but yet still sin. He's saying that you're going to be judged the same way but it, says, it goes down to verse 4 says, or do you despise the riches of his goodness? The, do you despise the riches of his goodness? When you despise something, it means that you reject it. Right? If you despise somebody, you are rejecting them. I do not want that person, that thing in my life. I despise that. It's, so it says, when you're judging people, are you despising what does it say? Or do you despise the riches of his goodness? Do you reject the riches of his goodness? How many of you know God is rich in goodness? If he wasn't rich in goodness, he would have never sent Jesus to die for people like you and me. Amen? He says, or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance and long-suffering, not knowing? Everybody knows this on paper. But we forget about it in the moment where we feel like we have the upper hand on someone, where we feel like that we are looking down and saying, I'm better than you because I don't have that particular sin that is looked at in society as worse than the thing that you don't know about in my life. Am I speaking any truth tonight? He says, or, or do you despise the riches of his goodness, of his forbearance, and his long-suffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance. That the goodness of God leads you to repentance. Now, there, there, I believe there is a fine line because some people will take a scripture like this and they'll completely take out telling anybody that they're doing anything wrong or against God. Paul didn't do that. You remember how chapter 2? Chapter 2 was pretty tough. 
He listed a lot of things. He didn't say that anything was good, anything was right. He's saying, listen, we've got all this stuff going on, and it's going on in the church, and, and there's even people that God just basically gave them over to that. They, they wanted it that bad, and, and, and he's, not even, he's not even convicting them of that sin anymore. He said, but then there's some of you who you feel like you're, you're righteous enough to look down on other people, that yes, maybe they are socially doing things that we feel like are, are more evil than other things, and, and obviously they are. You know, if, if, if I tell a lie and I get caught in that lie, it may hurt some feelings, it may skew some things or whatever, but, but if, I, if I murder somebody, then that's, that's, that's much more punishable, right? That, that messes up a whole lot more lives. That's, that's final. And that's how we look at those things socially. But God, this is what Jesus said. Jesus said, if you gossip about somebody, in God's eyes, you murdered them. So I want you to take, I want you to put your God glasses on. And every time you speak up against somebody, gossip against somebody, make these righteous judgments. In God's eyes, you murdered them. Now, in our eyes, we vented or we found somebody that we felt comfortable enough spewing on about someone else. And, and I'm right there. I've, I've murdered lots of people. How about you? Let's be honest. Because we're human. But when we begin to look at things the way God looks at things, Jesus said this. He says, you've heard it said that if you, if you commit adultery with, with someone, then, or if you go through the act of, of, of having sex with somebody who is not your spouse, you've committed adultery. He says, but I'm saying this, if you look on a person with lust in your eyes, you've already committed adultery. That's how, that's how God sees humanity. But we will categorize those things based on how much it socially hurts or helps. God doesn't look at it that way. But I, I feel like that Paul is not saying all this to bring about a judgment. He's saying all this to say, look, that is why you need the long-suffering of God. That is why you need even if you feel like you're not listed in the, in the, in the list of those people in, in chapter 2, you're still in that group of those people in chapter 2, and you're still in need, just like they are, of the goodness of God. You're still in need of the long-suffering of God. You're still, let's, let's read that there. Or do you despise the riches of His goodness? We need His, his goodness. We need His forbearance. We need His long-suffering. Because it's His goodness that leads us to repentance. I'm, I'm thoroughly convinced that people who um, are habitual um, sinners in socially acceptable ways are the hardest people to get to repent. Can I say that again? People who are the most habitual sinners in socially acceptable ways are the hardest people to get to repent because it's so justifiable. Yet you get somebody who is in a on socially acceptable sin 
And not only do they know in their heart that they're sinning against God, they're being shunned by people because of the way they are. It brings about something and then all of a sudden, if, if they can get into the goodness of God, right here the Bible says, don't you know that the goodness of God leads people to repentance? I'll see people who are, are completely um, you know, broken before God because they, they've recognized that they are a sinner and they've been involved in all these things and, and, and now, now I've recognized that God is still good to me and God still loves me and he still wants me to be a part of his kingdom and it leads them to repentance but people who don't think they need the goodness of God because they're good in and of themselves very hard to get those people to repent not that it's my job to get people to repent I think I could find that in my own life and in your life when I feel like I've got the you know the biggies you know the ones that we call the biggies we got the biggies in check right but then the Holy Spirit is talking to us about some other things and we think that's not really that big of a deal. If the Holy Spirit's dealing with you about something, it's a big deal. It is the only deal. I remember when, when I first was coming to the Lord and, and I was recognizing, because the Word will, will, will help you to recognize and the Holy Spirit will help you to recognize. And, and, and of course, the devil doesn't help either because he's, he's the accuser of the brethren. So he's, he's bringing in guilt and shame and condemnation. Of course, the Holy Spirit doesn't do that. The Holy Spirit brings in uh, um, um, uh, uh, conviction, not condemnation. But I've got this laundry list, and man, I'm trying, to, I'm trying to punch off all those things. I want to get rid of that in my life. I want to get rid of that in my life. I want to get rid of that in my life. And I remember in a, in a time of prayer, the Holy Spirit was so sweet. He said, he come to me, he said, listen, we got a lot of work to do. But all I want you to concentrate is on this. Let's get this out of the way. And so I would believe God and I would repent when I would mess up and I would fall into his grace and, I, and, and, and move forward. And then when I get that out of the way, the Holy Spirit goes, okay, let's work on this. And guess what? The biggies, I found out, you know what I mean about the biggies, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. You know what I'm saying? When I, those were the easy things. Those were the easy things. When it got to that part where I needed to forgive somebody who did me wrong and I didn't do nothing wrong with them, Holy Spirit, I just want you to work on that. I don't want to work on that. They don't deserve that. Neither did you. Right? Those, that's the hard stuff. That's the hard stuff. So, let's see where we're at here. Hmm. Oh, what, what is it? Yeah, I'm only, I'm only there. Two, five? That's the problem. I was trying to get into three. I, I knew I wasn't that far along yet. Are you despised the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and longsuffering, not knowing that the goodness of God leads you to repentance? But in accordance with your hardness and your impotent heart, so this is going back to the judgers, but in accordance with your hardness and your impotent heart, you are treasuring up for yourself wrath in the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God. Who will render to each one according to his deeds? Verse 7, eternal life to those who are patient, continuance in doing good, seek for glory, honor, and immor uh, immortality. Verse 8, but to those who are self-seeking and do not obey the truth, 
but obey unrighteousness, indignation, and wrath. This is their reward. It says tribulation and anguish on every soul of man who does evil, of the Jew first and also of the Greek, but glory, honor, and peace to everyone who works what is good, to the Jew first and then also to the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. For as many as have sinned without law will also perish without law. And as many as sinned in the law will be judged by the law. For not the hearers of the law are just in the sight of God, but the doers of the law will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law by nature do the things in the law, these, although not having the law, are a law to themselves, who show the work of the law written in their hearts, their, their conscience also bearing witness, and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them. So let me explain that a little bit. Let me read verse 16. In the day when God will judge the secrets, I like this, in the day when God will judge the secrets of men by Jesus Christ according to my gospel. So what Paul is attempting to explain to the Romans is that there's going to be a group of people who were outside of the law and they'll be judged according to that. And then there's going to be a group of people uh, meaning the Jews who were a part of the law. And there'll be a judge whether they did the law or whether they didn't do the law. But then it starts talking about now we're in, in this dispensation where um, if you, and he's talking to some Jews, he says, if you Jews want to continue to try to do the law, you're going to be judged according to whether you could do it or not. And that's why Jesus had to come because nobody could do it. But then he goes on, he says, but then there's going to be Gentiles who do not know the law. But because they're saved, that's why I was saying the law is written into their hearts. That's what happens when we become saved. That's what happens when the Holy Spirit moves on the inside of us. We become new creatures in Christ Jesus. All of a sudden, we say we have a conscience. Remember when you got saved? All of a sudden, you're more aware of things you were doing. Not just things outwardly. Not just things. Uh, I, I, I used to say it like this. I would do anything I thought I could get away with back before I got saved. I would calculate and go, Will mama catch me? And if I thought mama, or at least the percentage was high that mama wouldn't catch me, I would do it. But if I thought the percentage was high that she would catch me, I wouldn't do it. And that's what governed me. Will I get caught? Will I not get caught? When I got saved, all of a sudden, it wasn't about will I get caught or won't I get caught. It was about in my conscience, will I feel right about doing this? Caught or not? And that's what Paul is talking about here. He's saying, but the Gentiles, the ones who've received Christ, they're actually going to be doing the law, not because they know the law by, by written word, but because the Holy Spirit's on the inside of them, and it's basically been downloaded on the inside of them. They may not know why it feels wrong now, but, they, but it will, and they will be guided by their conscience now because their conscience is really the Holy Spirit on the inside of them. And then it goes on, it says, uh, let's see, um, who show the work of the law written, verse 15, written in their hearts, their conscience also bearing witness and between themselves their thoughts accusing or else excusing them accusing or excusing when you get saved that's what begins to happen you know you I, it's funny I can get around people that uh, they don't have a conscience you ever got around somebody that doesn't have a conscience and they're like oh you can do that I'm like you might be able to do that but I can't do that there nobody cares nobody's gonna I care because my thoughts 
accuse me or excuse me. Because I'm judging that based off the Holy Spirit. And then it goes in to verse 16. It says, in that day when God will judge the secrets of men, watch this, by Jesus Christ. And Paul says, according to my gospel, meaning the good news that Paul was given about Jesus Christ and the righteousness that we have in Christ Jesus. Paul was the one who wrote that. He got that from the Lord. Paul was the one who wrote that if any man be in Christ Jesus, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Everything has become new. Paul is saying that what's going to be judged is the, the secrets of men's heart, but it's going to be judged according to Jesus Christ. So that ought to be good news to you as a believer. That we live in that dispensation of grace. Of course, Paul also wrote, does that mean that we abuse the grace of God? He said, certainly not. Why? Because we're not being led and guided by do's and don'ts anymore. We're being led and guided by the Holy Spirit that's on the inside of us that is accusing our thoughts or it's excusing what we're, what we're doing. But it says, in that day, God will judge even the secret thoughts of men. Of course, that sounds scary. Until you read the fact, I'm not saying that you ought to let your thoughts run wild, but God is going to look at those. But thank God that we have Jesus Christ, who is our substitute. And if we've received Christ as our Lord and Savior, then he's going to judge those things. But he's going to judge those things according to what Jesus did. And Jesus, I like what one person said, is that every time there's a sin or something that's brought up in a believer's life, Jesus is going to say, I paid for that. I paid for that. I paid for that. I paid for that. And you know what? Some people would say, well, if you preach like that and, and, and you, you won't keep people scared enough to do right. Listen, there's not enough scary things in the world to keep you doing right. What will keep you doing right is what he said before all that. And he said, don't you understand that the goodness of God leads us to repentance? That when we recognize that even God's even concerned about the secret thoughts in our hearts, he's even going to look at those on that day. He's going to look at every single thing that we did and not just what we did, but with the motive in which we did it he's going to look at every word we ever gossiped and he's going to say in my eyes you murdered that person you murdered that person you murdered that person in my eyes you slept with that person you slept with that person you slept in my eyes you did this in my eyes you stole that and we're looking at all those things and then all of a sudden Jesus steps in with his blood and he says but I paid for that because their salvation is not based on what they did or what they didn't do their salvation is based on what I did and I paid for all that that ought to make you happy. And that ought to make you say, how good is God? I don't deserve that. Do you deserve that? I don't deserve to be let off the hook like that. Do you deserve to be let off the hook on all the things you did? Absolutely not. And, and religious people don't like this. They're like the people Paul talked about, the judges. He said, well, what you don't know is the same way you're judging them, you're, you're in need of the same judgment. No, you might not have done things that were socially unacceptable, especially in the South and all that stuff, but, but, but the things that you've done, even the secret intents of your heart, God knows about those things, and you're in, in need of the same hellfire brimstone judgment that you're pronouncing on that person. And you've forgotten about how good and how rich God is in his goodness. You've forgotten about how rich God is in his forbearance. You've forgotten about how the goodness of God leads us to repentance. Is that okay? Amen. Verse 17. Indeed, you were called a Jew and rest on the law 
and make your boast in God and know his will and approve the things that are excellent, being instructed out, by the, out of the law. And are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in the darkness, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and truth in the law. You, therefore, who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? You who say... Do not commit adultery. Do you commit adultery? You who uh, uh, abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who make your boast in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? For the name of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. As it is written, for circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. But if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision is has become uncircumcision. Therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law, will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? So now he's kind of getting on to the religious leaders of the day that they're, they're, remember we talked about last time we we spoke on this, that there was uh, a lot of the, the Jews had accepted that the Gentiles were receiving the gospel just like they were, but if they were gonna receive the gospel, They wanted them to uh, adhere to all of the laws that the Jewish people had to. If they were going to receive Jesus Christ, their Lord and Savior, um, you know, then they were also going to have to receive all of the law. And so Paul is talking to this group because if you remember, uh, the church had kind of been left to itself for a little while. And while it was left to itself, um, a lot of these, these religious Jewish leaders had gotten in there and they had begun to inundate these new uh, Gentile converts into the things such as being, you know, a grown man and saying, well, uh, you're, you know, I, I don't care that you receive Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior. If you don't get circumcised, it didn't mean anything. And so they're saying all this. And of course, the Gentiles are, are revolting and going, well, you know, we're going to have our own form of, 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 of Christianity, which Paul was not a fan of either. He says, listen, that's not the, you know, going out and creating your own form is not the right thing. And, and, and kind of coming in here and trying to mix the old covenant with the new covenant, that's not the right thing either. So Paul's coming in and bringing balance to this. And one of the ways is he's correcting these religious leaders. And he's saying, listen, he's saying, you're putting all these laws on people. You're the one teaching the laws, but, and he's reading their mail because uh, Paul said he was a Pharisee among Pharisees, that he was one of the smartest in all the land. So he knows these people. He knows what they do. And he says, and he's saying, uh, you're teaching these people to do things that you don't even uphold yourself to the same standard. And he said, and, and, and furthermore, you're teaching uh, that these Gentiles, if they're uncircumcised, that, they're, that the, the gospel's not going to work for them, yet they're actually adhering to the rules better than you are being circumcised. And so he's really just kind of putting them in their place there. Um, let's see. Verse 26, therefore, if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirement of the law, will his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision? And will not the physically uncircumcised, if he fulfills the law, judge you who even your written code and and circumcision are a transgressor of the law? For he is not a Jew who is one uh, outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly and, uh, and 
circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter whose praise is not from men, but from God. So this is a, this is a, a huge new concept for the church because you have a lot of people who they're coming out of 4,000 years of being taught how to, be, how to be right with God and everything that they were taught on how to be right with God had to do with sacrifice and covenant, sacrifice and covenant. And so you've got people who they've not rejected Christ. They've actually come to know that Christ is the Messiah and they've, they've received that, but they can't let go of the, the over 4,000 years of, of having to do something to either get the salvation from God or maintain that because they're so used to that. It, it, it'd be like, you know, coming into this church and, and, you know, we don't have a lot of traditions and things like that, um, but uh, it, it would be like some churches have these traditions and they're not really based in the Bible and they're not really based on, on anything other than a long time ago, somebody had a good idea and they did that and, and, then, and then after they did that, everybody just thought it was written in the Bible somewhere. And if you were to come in and say, hey, you know what? That's not really written in the Bible. We really don't have to do that. Now, if we like doing that, we can do that, but we really don't have to do that. And then, you know, there's been small wars, wars fought in some churches over things that were, were not in the Bible, you know? I mean, I remember, you know, um, a, a certain place one time I, I, I dared mention that uh, we might be able to get more people if we exchange the pews for chairs. And, 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 and I, I really felt like I blasphemed the Lord when I said that. You know? and, it, and to me, you know, it, it, it's like we're talking about getting more people in here. But, it, but to them, it was like it, somewhere in the Bible, you had to have, had to have pews, not chairs. You know? and, and it's like those types of things... I, I'm not attached to, and probably because I wasn't raised in church. And a lot of times people will attach God to things that were present in the room where they met God. That can be a song. That can be a carpet color. That can be a steeple. That can be all, and I'm not making fun of all those things. I'm just saying all those things are not God. Amen? They're not God. And we can have church if we were to walk out here, if this, if this building was to blow away right now, we could have church right out there underneath the tree, just the same, maybe even better. And we can get religious and all those things. So you've got to think about it. These people are being told that everything that you encompassed and that you um, related to God, the priest going to God for you. You don't have to have the priest go to God for you anymore. You can go to God for yourself. That's a huge concept for these people because they're used to bringing their livestock and doing what the priest said, and then the priest go to God for them. Well, you can imagine why the priest didn't want to let go of that gig, right? Well, because if I'm standing between you and God, then that's a, that's a major leverage to be able to manipulate you. And that still goes on today. A lot of people think that their pastor has a better connection to God than you do. If I do, it's not because God doesn't want that connection. It's because you've done that. There's nowhere in here that says your pastor should have a better connection to God than you do. A better prayer life than you do. I mean, it's expected, but that's not true. You've got just the same right to go into the throne room of grace with boldness as I do. Why? Because the word of God says, come boldly before the throne room of grace to obtain mercy and help in a time of need. Now, I can help you pray. Bible says if somebody's, somebody's sick, let him call on the elders of the church and they'll anoint him and they'll pray the prayer of faith and it'll save the sick. So, so that is a biblical thing. But that, that's, just, that's just help. 
doesn't mean that I have a better connection to God than you do. But back then, you could not go to God. Matter of fact, God was, was um, I'm not going to say fickle. It was just the way things were set up. God was trying to get Jesus here so that he could tear the veil. The Bible says that, that the curtain, the veil that separated people from the presence of God was rent in two when Jesus died on the cross, signifying that the presence of God was no longer going to be held in places made with hands like tents and things like that and temples, but it was rent from top to bottom so that the presence of God could be in all of us. See, before that, that was not possible. The Holy Spirit was not able to be in a believer. They weren't even called believers back then. They were, they were just the people of God. And the Holy Spirit would come on certain people at certain times, most of the time, one person at a time. The Holy Spirit would come on King David. The Holy Spirit would come on Abraham. The Holy Spirit would come on Moses. The Holy Spirit would, 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 would come on different people, and they would perform signs and wonders and miracles as God would want, but they did not have the Holy Spirit all the time. They were just the anointed man or woman of that time. But when Jesus came, and we had the ability to receive Christ, we received the same Holy Spirit, the Bible says, that raised up Christ from the dead, now lives and dwells on the inside of us and is able to quicken our mortal body. I believe that certain people have different giftings, but no one person has a better connection because, because of God saying, you get this much connection, you get this much connection. No, 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 everybody's got the same access to God as anyone else that will receive Christ. Amen? So you can see how the religious people of that day, they did not like losing control. That's why they kept trying to, okay, 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 we, we, we're, we're, we're working with this Jesus thing. We believe that Jesus was the Messiah, but we still want those traditions of the old way. You're, you're still going to have to, I mean, if they're going to come in to this church, they're going to have to be circumcised. We're not going to let uncircumcised guys come in here. That's still, you're going to have to circumcise. We're not, we're not budging on that one. Okay, all right. We, 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 we deal with the, the Jesus thing. We're all good with that. But they still need to keep all the laws of the covenants. And Paul is, is, is combating that and saying, you guys still don't get it. Jesus came and he did away with all of that. All that stuff was in place because Jesus was not yet here to fulfill the law. Now that Jesus has come, the law has been fulfilled. And when you get saved, the law gets downloaded on the inside of you. And all of a sudden, you start knowing on the inside of you, this doesn't feel right. I'm convicted by this. Why am I convicted by this? And of course, we got to read the word because the, the Bible says that, that we renew our mind by the word of God. It also says we're changed from glory to glory. So there's this new and living way to serve God. And as we're serving God in this new and this living way, God's way more concerned about why we're doing what we're doing than what we're actually doing. And the religious people that day go, I don't really care why you're doing it. I just want it to look right. That's what most religious people are interested in. Just make it look right. Doesn't have to be right, just needs to look right. And Paul's saying, I'm not concerned about what it looks like. I want it to, we want to be right with God. We want to be in right standing with God. 
And God's able to judge the, the thoughts and the intents of our heart. Amen? God, man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks on the inside. That's what Jesus dealt with every time he's here. He'd get in, involved with the scribes and the Pharisees, and they would, they would be trying to catch him on, on, on breaking the law or this, that, and the other. And, and Jesus said, you guys are like whitewashed sepulchers. Sepulcher is a tombstone. He said, you're beautiful on the outside, but you're full of dead men's bones. Meaning, you might have it like looking like you got it all together on the outside, but I know what you look like on the inside. And only the love of God, only the mercy of God, only the grace of God, only the blood of Jesus can make a dead man alive. And that's what Paul is trying to get across to these people because he's saying, listen, we're not serving God the way we used to serve God by technicalities and all these things. No, no, no. God's interested in our heart. He's interested in knowing that we're in right standing with him and we believe him and we're relying on him for all. If, if there's anything good in me, it's him. If there's anything powerful in me, it's him. If I'm falling in line uh, with what he's called me to do, it's him. It's his grace. And, and I, don't mind, I don't mind using that. And I don't mind uh, allowing God to use me. But I'm not going to do what, what Paul was saying. He says, most of the time, you guys are just, uh, you're, you're, you're just self-seeking. Isn't that what he was saying? Indeed, you call yourself a Jew and you rest on the law and you make your boast in God and know his will and approve the things that are excellent being instructed out of the law and are confident that you yourself are a guide to the blind, a light to those who are in the darkness, an instructor of those of the foolish, a teacher of babes, having the form of knowledge and the truth of the law. You, therefore, who teach another, do you not teach yourself? He's saying, you, you, you teach other people real well, but have you not even taught yourself? You, therefore, who teach another, do you not teach yourself? You who preach that a man should not steal, do you steal? You who say do not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who rob, uh, or, I'm sorry, uh, abhor uh, idols, do you not rob temples? You who make your boasts in the law, do you dishonor God through breaking the law? For the name of, the, uh, of God is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you, and it is written for the certain, and he goes into that again. I want to read that little, that little bitty part there. Um, for he, he uh, verse 28, for he uh, is not a Jew who is one outwardly, not, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. So I think we can, we can probably stop right there because we'd have to go into chapter three and I don't want to get chapter three started. But a lot to think about, a lot to go into. And um, I was talking to, to Jackson the other day and he had asked me a question. Uh, I can't even remember what it was about. But um, we, you know, be, me being me, uh, went into, you know, probably about a 15, 20 minute um, sermon. <laughs> On, on basically, you know, this is going to happen and this is going to happen and this is going to happen, talking about end times and then the millennial reign and, and then after that. And when I got done, he goes, yeah, a lot to think about. And, <laughs> and I said, yeah, I said, you can't just mentally assent to this. I mean, you, you don't just mentally assent to, yeah, I'm saved and I'm a Christian and I go to church. It means so much more than that. What we're saying we believe about Jesus is that not just that I'm not going to go to hell, 
but that he saved me and, and he's now preparing a place for me and, and all the other things that, that the, the book of Revelation even says. And, and, and here's, here's the other thing. Do you, do you guys realize that um, God is, is so big and has got so much planned that it was too big to fit in here? We're only told what we need to be told. And it's a lot. It's a lot to even take in then. And how many of you know that, because uh, I was telling him, I said, you know, a lot of times I, I thought just because of the way Hollywood portrays, and even, even Christianity a lot of times when I was a kid would portray it this way, but I would, I would think about going to heaven, and I felt bad about it. I felt bad about thinking going to heaven because I was thinking, I, mean, I remember one time, I had not yet gone to Six Flags. And I was thinking, I mean, I want to go to heaven. I don't want to go to hell or anything, but can I at least go to Six Flags and ride a roller coaster before I go to heaven? <laughs> and the reason why I was saying, I hate roller coasters, by the way, but the reason why I, uh, I found out later, it wasn't all it was cracked up to be, but <laughs> the reason why is because I thought that heaven was blank white. <laughs> and there were, you know, angels floating around with diapers and a harp. And, and although I, I knew I wasn't supposed to say, you know, I mean, at some point in eternity, because it says we're going to worship him forever. Well, in my mind, it was, a wor- it was a worship service that went on forever. I'm thinking at some point in eternity, will we do anything else? And, and I'll tell you, somebody who helped me more than anything about thinking about that was Joe Morrison. He said, God has not given up on his original plan. What was God's original plan for for humanity? It was the garden. It was paradise. Was it, go back and read the account of Genesis. Was it it just puffy clouds and, and, and angels with harps? No. It was paradise. It was everything that we long for this world to be. You know why everybody's so concerned about the environment? It's because inherently we know that this is not the way it's supposed to be. And we're trying by our own might and by our own smarts and by our own science to set things back the way it was supposed to be by God. And only God can set that stuff back right. That's why we're so concerned about all kinds of things. Listen, sin entered into this world and destroyed it. And God is taking every single person that he can. He's giving every single person um, as much time as he can so that he can render from the earth what he's paid for so that he can set this thing back right. And it's going to be glorious. This is, this is not the end. You know, all the things that Paul taught uh, on the church is so that we can get our eyes off of trying to um, recreate a paradise in the 70 years that we're here and try to get our, our mind and our, and our hearts focused on living for God so that we can help him render as many people from the earth before it's, before it's done and before we, we go to meet him. Amen? And our eyes have to be on that because if not, we can get caught up and what is or what isn't happening to us 
while here on this 70 years. And I'm not saying that God hasn't made provision because through Christ he's made provision for us for, for uh, divine health and divine healing and divine prosperity and all those things while we're here. But all that stuff is not a means to an end. All of that is there so that we can be healthy and so that we can have what we need so that we can do what he's called us to do. Amen? Isn't that good? Stand up on your feet. I want to thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. And if you would like to help us increase our outreach, please like, share, and subscribe to our channel so that we can bring the word of God to friends and family near you. Don't forget you can check out our location, other podcasts and service times, on our website at woftx.com. If you're in the East Texas area, we'd love for you to stop by and join in for one of our services. We're glad you chose our podcast. Be blessed. We'll see you next time.